Birmingham, Alabama is considered ground zero in the civil rights movement. The Birmingham Civil Rights Institute keeps the stories of this dark chapter in American history alive. Across the street from the Civil Rights Institute is the 16th Street Baptist Church where a 1963 bombing changed the course of history in Birmingham and America. Once this church becomes affiliated with the Civil Rights Movement, now this church becomes a target. Freedom Park was a central point for a civil rights protest and violent arrest, but today it is a sculpture garden that honors those who peacefully demonstrated. The late Doc Adams was a jazz legend in Birmingham. He shared his music and life with us just weeks before his passing. And he said, why, what are you? He said, my name is Sunrock. And he said, why don't you get up? He said, I'm from the sun. Travel through Birmingham's historic civil rights and jazz scene and learn about the sights, sound, and flavors of Rio de Janeiro on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. One month before his death, jazz legend Frank Doc Adams gave us a glimpse into the world of Birmingham's black middle class in the days before the civil rights movement and integration. He also shared how jazz professionalism became a source of pride within the black community during the darkest hours. Also coming up on World Footprints, we will walk in the footsteps of Birmingham civil rights history with historian Barry McNeely as he takes us through the 4th Avenue Historic District to iconic sites that were central to Birmingham's civil rights struggles. The 16th Street Baptist Church, where a bomb in 1963 killed four young girls, and Freedom Park, where thousands of protesters, mainly teenagers, gather for demonstrations. From the floor of the New York Times Travel Show, we will shine a destination spotlight on Rio de Janeiro. In the 1950s, African Americans of all ages drew a proverbial line in the sand in Birmingham, Alabama, against racial segregation, and their story, struggles, and ultimate success over Jim Crow laws is on display at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. Historian and guide Barry McNeely takes us through the museum on a chronological tour of the darkness that shadowed African Americans' daily lives in Birmingham. Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is dedicated to maintaining the memory and the story of the Civil Rights Movement as it pertains to the city of Birmingham and the state of Alabama. It is also dedicated and committed to providing an ongoing discussion of civil and human rights in the present-day world. As you walk up the stairs towards the rotunda, the idea of the Civil Rights Institute being a memorial is highlighted by the idea that on both sides of the staircase we have planted rosemary. And of course rosemary is one of those things that is used to induce memory. And so this building 
is used to maintain and induce memory of things that have taken place here in the past, in the 50s and the 60s in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. As we move to the Barriers Gallery, separate but unequal defines how blacks lived in Birmingham and across the South. It is called Barriers because it illustrates the walls that were created in society artificially by segregation ordinances that existed at the turn of last century that really grew to the forefront after the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. The first thing that you see as you enter into the Barriers Gallery is probably one of the most iconic images of segregation, and that would be the separate water fountains marked white and marked colored. When we think of the idea of Plessy versus Ferguson, they're separate but equal. As we look at these two fountains, one of these fountains is a refrigerated, well-maintained water fountain, where the other is a dilapidated sink. There you can clearly see there is separation, but there is no equality. As you step inside of the various gallery, you are confronted with segregation in a myriad fashion. Uh, first of all, on the sign on the wall, you see signs that say, for white customers. You see signs that say, for colored. You see signs that say, um, white entrance, colored entrance. These are all symbols of de facto and race segregation. In the area of public education, blacks were truly second class as the school system saw no need to educate blacks beyond the 10th grade. Here we see two different classrooms. The cutout that we see displays a number of differences in these classrooms. As we begin to look and observe, we notice that one classroom is a white classroom circa 1953, whereas another classroom is a black classroom circa 1953 as well. But that right there probably would be the last similarity as we look at these classrooms. Because as we start to look deeper, we see that one classroom has better lighting. One classroom has a projector. One classroom has textbooks and notebooks and implements to learn. Whereas we look over to the other classroom, the black classroom, and we don't see the projector. We don't see the textbooks. We don't see the very good lighting. We don't see the tile floors. We see that there are clearly distinctions being made between education of white students and black students in a place like Birmingham, Alabama. This also illustrates the idea that Birmingham used to have the Birmingham City School System, but within itself, it had the Negro City School System. The Negro City School System only went to the 10th grade. African Americans were not expected to go to college. They were not expected to pursue uh, further educational pursuits. So going to the 12th grade was considered to be um, a waste. So eventually, by 1898, the city of Birmingham is going to be asked to create a four-year tax-supported high school for African Americans. That tax-supported high school is going to open, and it's going to be called Negro High School. Two years later, they're going to rename it Birmingham Industrial High School. Birmingham Industrial High School, because it is the only place 
for African Americans to get a four-year diploma, tech-supported, is eventually going to grow to be very large. By 1939, this high school is going to be so large that you would attend here during the morning based upon your last name, or you would come in the afternoon based on your last name. You would graduate in May, or you would graduate in December based upon your last name, because this is the only place where African Americans could get a four-year tech-supported high school education. Otherwise, their family would have to be able to pay for them to go to uh, Tuskegee or to Talladega, one of the African-American colleges within the state. As Jim Crow segregation sought to break blacks, the church remained at the center of black life in Birmingham and the center of the movement that would someday change the world. The church at the turn of last century was the center of the community. Well, this church tells us a lot of different stories. First of all, the pews that you see, these pews are taken from the 16th Street Baptist Church. The pulpit that you see and the Bible that you see are taken from the church known as Bethel Baptist. Bethel Baptist Church was the home of Reverend Fred Lee Shuttlesworth. Reverend Fred Lee Shuttlesworth was a civil rights leader here in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. When the Montgomery bus boycott was successful, the state of Alabama decided that the only reason it took place is because people from the outside of the state came here and created tension where no tension really existed. This is known as the concept of outside agitators. Well, these outside agitators were quickly identified as being the NAACP. Well, because of that, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People was ordered not to function within the state of Alabama if they refused to turn over their membership roles to the Attorney General. Well, of course, they couldn't do that, so the NAACP was banned from Birmingham and the state of Alabama. Well, in that vacuum, there is the Reverend Fred Lee Shuttlesworth, who starts an organization known as the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Now, the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights was made up of churches, 60 churches in all. If you look at the wall behind me, what you see as we stand inside of this church, if you see the facade of the 60 different churches that lined up along with Fred Shuttlesworth and Bethel Baptist Church. Now, we should mention that 60 churches is an impressive number, but in the city of Birmingham at the time, there were 700 churches. So this was not a popular idea. This was not an overwhelming idea, but this was an idea just the same. This is World Footprints Radio. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick with my wife, Tanya, and we are walking through the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute with guide Barry McNeely, who shares why Birmingham became ground zero in the civil rights struggle and how the strategic alliance between the Reverend Fred L. Shuttlesworth and Dr. Martin Luther King was integral in dismantling segregation in the American South. We have more information about Birmingham, Alabama's civil rights struggles and the Civil Rights Institute on this show page at worldfootprints.com. When the Klan felt like they weren't being listened to or they weren't being adhered to, 
they would go to the next step. And Birmingham gets a cruel nickname, Bombingham. And it becomes Bombingham because there is a reign of terror set off of bombing. Mary Means Monk was just one individual whose home was bombed. There were over 50 unsolved bombings, as we can see by this sign here on the wall. We also see photographs of the damage that some of these bombs caused. One of these places we've already kind of visited, and this is going to be Bethel Baptist Church. Bethel Baptist Church, because of Fred Shuttlesworth's insistent leadership, is going to be bombed not once, not twice, but three times in all. The first time his church is bombed is after he announces plans to challenge Birmingham's segregated bus system. His church was bombed on December the 25th, 1956. The tour takes us to the Movement Gallery, where we learn of Claudette Colvin and Joanne Robinson, who took their seats on segregated buses before Rosa Parks did in Montgomery. We have to look before Rosa Parks, and we have to look to the first young lady that's going to sit on a bus in Montgomery. Her name is Claudette Colvin. Claudette Colvin is going to be arrested for refusing to give her seat, but the city's not going to rally around her. Then you're going to have Joanne Robinson. She's going to be harassed on the buses. But finally, by the time that Rosa Parks sits on a bus, the city of Montgomery is ready, they're primed, and they want the simple. And Rosa Parks is going to provide that for them. When she does, Joanne Robinson is going to put out a flyer throughout the city of Montgomery asking African Americans to stay off the buses for one day. They're going to meet that evening, and they're going to vote to extend that boycott from one day to its eventual 381 days. Here on the wall, we see Virginia Durr, who is a mentor of Rosa Parks. Virginia Durr and her husband are going to provide financial assistance for her to be trained as a civil rights leader at the Highlander Folk School. Uh, Virginia Durr's husband, uh, Clifford Durr, is also an attorney who's going to provide legal assistance to Rosa Parks during this time period. Uh, Virginia Durr, by the way, is going to be responsible for inviting Eleanor Roosevelt to the state of Alabama. And when Eleanor Roosevelt comes here, she's going to shake Alabama up. One of the things she's going to do is she's going to go to Tuskegee and she's going to demand to have an African-American pilot fly her around to prove African-Americans can actually fly. She's going to come to Birmingham and she's going to have a part in a civil rights meeting on race relations. When she comes, Bull Connor is going to have the auditorium segregated, and he has Eleanor Roosevelt placed on the white side of the auditorium. Eleanor Roosevelt demands that her seat be placed in the middle of the auditorium because she's first lady of all the people, and she defies Bull Connor, and Bull Connor backs down. Those local bus boycotts inspired the Freedom Rides as the movement sought to dismantle discrimination in interstate travel. The Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE, and they're going to start the Freedom Rides in Washington, D.C. to try to test the court case, Morgan versus Virginia, that says segregation cannot be done on interstate travel. 
Well, if they make their way to the south and they come to Alabama, this bus is going to go through Anniston. As it goes through Anniston, they're going to stab the tires of this bus. When the bus runs out of air on the tires, it stops. They throw in Maltal cocktails, and they try to hold these people in. Another bus comes to Birmingham, Alabama on May 14, uh, 1963. As they come here to Birmingham, Alabama, they are beaten. Bull Connor has told the Ku Klux Klan that they have 15 minutes to give the Freedom Riders a good old-fashioned Birmingham City welcome. The Birmingham City welcome included brass knuckles, baseball bats, and chains. With so much happening across the South in the early 1960s, Project C, or Confrontation, took flight, taking aim at Public Safety Commissioner Eugene Bull Connor and his forceful efforts to stop the movement. The largest part of Project C would have been D-Day. Here we have images of D-Day. D-Day stood for demonstration Day. This is the day that thousands of young people skipped school. They came down Street Baptist Church, they came down to St. Paul's Methodist Church, they left those churches, and you can see in this photograph on the wall, they left those churches marching for downtown Birmingham, marching for Kelly Ingram Park, marching for the Jefferson County Courthouse, which you can also see around you over images of high-powered water loaders, you can see images of dogs. Nineteen sixty three becomes the most pivotal year in the civil rights movement. Dr. King writes his letter from the Birmingham jail in April, and months later the sixteenth Street Baptist Church is targeted in September, forever changing the movement. During this year, they're going to have the University of Alabama is going to be integrated. They're going to have the massive demonstrations here in Birmingham. They're going to have the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. And I guess the high point of 1963 is you're going to have the March on Washington where Dr. Martin Luther King is going to give you notice, I have a drink speech. To explore the civil rights movement in Birmingham, visit B.C. R-I.org. We also have a direct link on this show page on worldfootprints.com. destination spotlight, we hear what makes Rio de Janeiro the perfect travel destination from Michael Najee at the New York Times Travel Show. If you look at Rio, we are literally squeezed between the mountains and the sea. And so you've got the biggest urban rainforest in the world is in Rio. So you can actually, there's over 27 different hiking paths you can do. If you want to go wake up in the morning, have a water dip in a waterfall, you can do that 15 minutes from your hotel. If you're more adventurous, you want to go hang gliding, you can do that on land on the beaches in Rio. And these are things that you see happening all the time while you're there. The city's alive. It is a very, there's something special about Rio. Obviously, we are very, as I say, we're very body conscious in Brazil. So the beaches are definitely an attraction if you like. You can have a coconut. You can actually go and have an Italian dinner on the beach 
in Songkohado, there's a kiosk, yeah. which is right next to the road shooter. If you like golf, the Olympics, the new golf course has been built, which will be open for the Olympics. But we have three golf courses in Rio of high quality. I mean, there's something for everybody. If you want to, if you like cruises, we have a great port. There are a lot of ships that do the high seasons there as well. And museums. I mean, if you look at Brazil's history, um, we were founded by the Portuguese. So we have 26 of the, these classic museums showing everything about our whole history downtown Rio. A lot of U.S. influence in the evolution of Brazil. Then you also have, if you go to um, Barra, we have the biggest naive um, museum in the world of Brazilian art, and that's in Barra. You can actually, the, the botanical gardens, which is something special, but there is Bula Max, which is a garden in uh, Baja de Tijuca. In there are species of plants there that are almost extinct in the world, but we've managed to preserve them there as well. You can go stand up in knee-high water, clear, pristine water on the lakes in Marapinji. You want a first-class Michelin one-star re restaurant, you can go and have lunch in Bajin Grange. If you're there for conventions, we have, Rio has the biggest convention center in South America. 26 five-star hotels with their own restaurants and everything else. Um, food trucks, events, food is very big, as I said already. street from the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute is the 16th Street Baptist Church. It was here on September 15, 1963, when four young girls attending Sunday school were murdered by white segregationists who planted a bomb that shocked the conscience of the city, the nation, and the world. Barry McNeely takes us inside the 16th Street Baptist Church to revisit that day and learn how this church has become a place to unify a community and people from all over the world. We're now entering the basement area of the 16th Street Baptist Church, formerly known as Everybody's Church. And this place came to be known as Everybody's Church because of the centralized location that it holds, but also because of the size of this facility. When we start looking at this church, um, this church was, this building that we're in right now was completed in 1911 after the original church was um, declared to be out of code. And basically uh, the original church building, if you go on the Birmingham um, City's website, you can see a picture of that original church. Some said that the church was just too ornate, too well done, and the city leaders did not like the idea of African Americans having such a facility, so they demanded they tear it down. Well, at any rate, this building was completed in 1911. It turned out that in the congregation, they had the only licensed architect, African American, in the state of Alabama. So they asked him and his name was Wallace Rayfield to draw up plans that nobody could challenge. And so he draws up these plans and also in the congregation there was a man by the name of T.C. Wyndham and T.C. Wyndham had his own construction company. And he and Wallace Rayfield are going to team up with a total of $26,000 to build the building that you're in right now. 
isn't inflation something? <laughs> well, speaking of this being everybody's church, we have to start here with the idea of the Reverend Dr. William Pettiford. He's not the first pastor of the 16th Street Baptist Church, but he's probably the most impactful pastor that they have. Going back to this idea of everybody's church, because of its location, because of its size, if there was anything very notable going on in the African-American community, it took place here, and everybody could come. For example, if Booker T. Washington came to speak to the African-American community in Birmingham, he would speak here. W.E.B. Du Bois would come to speak to Birmingham. He would come here to speak. Uh, Marian Anderson, notable for the concert at the, um, you know, the Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt arranged at the Constitutional Hall. She actually comes here for the concert. So this church has a wide-ranging influence in its very early history. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are talking with historian Barry McNeely about the tragic September 15, 1963 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. As we will hear, the church has become a symbol of international unity in the aftermath of the bombing. Visit this show page on our website at worldfootprints.com to read more about the 16th Street Baptist Church tragedy. Um, very, very forceful in the community. As we mentioned earlier, African Americans, when they went to school, their education ended with their 10th year of school because African Americans weren't considered to be college material. Well, William Pettiford goes to the Birmingham Board of Education and he appeals to the president of the board to have a four-year tax-supported high school created. Um, what I didn't say earlier is that the president of the board at the time was a former captain in the Confederate Army. His name was Samuel Ullman. However, sometimes it's not where you start in life, it's where you wind up. Uh, Samuel Ullman approves the construction and support of a four-year tax-supported high school for African Americans. And they started out in a couple of buildings, a couple of houses, and their first teacher and principal was Dr. Arthur Harold Parker. So we should also mention that the first graduation of Negro High School and Industrial High School took place right here in this building. Um, Dr. Pettiford is also going to, uh, we talked about the idea of segregation bringing many needs to the African-American community. Uh, we talked about A.G. Gaston creating uh, the Citizens Federal Bank for the black community earlier. However, before Citizens Federal and before A.G. Gaston, there was Dr. William Pettiford. And Dr. William Pettiford is responsible for the first African-American bank that pretty much grows out of the finances of the 16th Street Baptist Church. And that first bank was known as the Alabama Penny Savings Bank. Uh, in its initial inception, it was so successful that other congregations around the state of Alabama asked Dr. Pettiford to help them to create their own black banks in their communities because, of course, the, the bank is a very powerful part of any community. You know, how can you finance business? How can you finance the building of a church? How can you finance the construction of a house? Everyday things that we take for granted. But if you're African-American, you don't have a bank to turn to. 
Well, so as Jennifer travels through these communities helping to set up banks, he ultimately is going to go to Atlanta, Georgia and be responsible for Atlanta, Georgia's first African-American bank. As we move throughout these pastors, we have to come back to that idea of everybody's church. Well, when the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights was formed in 1956, the 16th Street Baptist Church is not one of those initial churches that joins on. However, with Reverend Beard and more notably Reverend Cross, these two individuals are going to pull the 16th Street Baptist Church into the Alabama Christian Movement for Human Rights. Now, this is not going to be without a cost. Once this church becomes affiliated with the Civil Rights Movement, now this church becomes a target. This church is going to be constantly threatened. Um, threats of violence, threats of you know, financial retribution, just threats upon threats. And those threats are going to materialize. And when those threats materialize, it's going to wind up in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church. To learn about tours through the 16th Street Baptist Church, visit 16thstreetbaptist.org. Use the number 16 and TH followed by Street Baptist, or find a direct link on this show page on worldfootprints.com. Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Coming up, we will revisit the conversation we had with Birmingham jazz legend Frank Doc Adams just a few weeks before his death. We will also walk through Freedom Park, a sculpture garden that pays homage to the actors in the Civil Rights Movement, and we'll learn how courage and perseverance finally defeated segregation. We will also shine a destination spotlight on Rio de Janeiro. If you want more travel experiences beyond this radio show, we invite you to visit our website, worldfootprints.com, where you can peruse our library of radio shows, articles, and more. You can also find links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Downtown Birmingham is the home to the Civil Rights Heritage Trail. Kelly Ingram Park, also known as Freedom Park, was a staging area for many of the demonstrations that took place in Birmingham, led by Dr. Martin Luther King, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, and others. Historian Barry McNeely takes us through the sculpture garden that today pays homage to all of the civil rights actors and helps keep this dark time in history alive. We're now entering Kelly Ingram Park from the 6th Avenue North, 16th Street side. This would have been the entrance that would have been most associated with the Civil Rights Movement because, of course, as the young people left the doors of St. Paul's Methodist Church and the 16th Street Baptist Church, 
they were confronted by a phalanx of police officers and firefighters under the direction of Bull Connor. As they came out into the hundreds and the thousands, they spilled over into this park, and this park became a battleground as well on uh, D-Day, which was May 2nd, 1963. Now, when we start talking about D-Day, these young people came out to these churches. They left those churches, and they came through various different routes. Some of these young people who left those churches headed towards this park. Some of the people headed towards the lunch counters downtown. Some of the people headed towards the municipal district and the Jefferson County Courthouse. They even took different routes. Some of the two teenagers were told, don't go out of the church doors at all. You stay back. We're going to send you out of the rear doors of the churches. We're going to send you away from the demonstrations, let you get to other areas downtown, and then you can demonstrate. So while Fred Shuttleworth is standing on the stairs of the 16th Street Baptist Church, Bull Connor orders the fire department to direct their hoses on the church stairs and to hit Fred Shuttlesworth. Fred Shuttlesworth was never a very big man at all. Those hoses, they hit him, and they pick him up, and they bounce him against the stairs of the 16th Street Baptist Church with such force that he has to be hospitalized with internal injuries to his ribs. Yet the demonstrators do not give up. They're not deterred. They still keep coming in significant numbers. But these water hoses are going to be seen, not just in Birmingham, not just in Alabama. The use of these water hoses is going to be seen around the globe. And this is going to cause people to weigh in on this battle that's going on in the city of Birmingham, Alabama. This is World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We are walking through Birmingham's Freedom Park and revisiting the struggles of the Civil Rights Movement with historian Barry McNeely. Visit worldfootprints.com for more information about Birmingham's Heritage Trail. Now the next thing we stop at as we walk through this park, and I should mention, this walk that we're walking on as a part of the new design of this park, it's been dubbed as Freedom Walk. But the next thing we encounter on Freedom Walk is we encounter a horse chestnut tree. This horse chestnut tree has been planted here and it has this plaque here to represent the idea that this is dedicated to Anne Frank. But not just to Anne Frank, in a larger sense, this is dedicated to what took place during the Nazi occupation in World War II in Europe. When we start to consider this, we have to consider that Adolf Hitler sent agents to the United States of America to study the Jim Crow South. And what he does with that study is he has a group of laws created known as the Nuremberg Laws that are going to marginalize Jewish people under his control. If you consider it was illegal in the American South for an African American to marry a Caucasian. In Germany, it becomes illegal for a Jewish person to be married to a person who is Aryan or German. And it reminds us that this is not a story about black versus white. This is a story about man's ability to be inhumane to other men. And that story could be seen in Rwanda. That story could be seen in Cambodia. That story could be seen in Bosnia. 
That story could be seen right here in the streets of Birmingham, Alabama. As we walk down Freedom Walk, if you look over to your left, by the 17th Street entrance to the park, you see a large stone. That large stone is affixed there, and it carries the name of Kelly Ingram, who this park is named after today. This park was originally named West Park as a part of a publicity stunt to try to get the city to build itself around the western area as far as the industrialists saw the city of Birmingham. Well, after World War II is over, they renamed West Park in honor of Kelly Osmond Ingram, who was the first Alabamian to be killed in World War I. Now, the interesting thing about that is this park is very well associated with African-American history and the Civil Rights Movement. Well, when they began to talk about outfitting this park with the memorials that we see today, some people also voiced the idea that they should change the name of the park to be more representative of its African-American heritage. Well, they left the park in terms of validity. They left it named Kelly Ingram. But if we look directly to the opposite side of the park, we see memorials that are dedicated to notable African Americans from Birmingham. One of those African Americans is a lady by the name of Carrie A. Tuggle. She is the mother of black education in Birmingham, Alabama. She founded the first orphanage for black boys in this city. After a while, her orphanage became known as the Tuskegee, as the Tuggle Institute. And the Tuggle Institute became the first elementary school for African Americans in this city. Another person that is memorialized in that corner is a man by the name of Julius Ellsbury. And Julius Ellsbury is the first African American killed from Birmingham in World War II. As we continue to walk through Freedom Walk, we come to another memorial. And this exhibition is dedicated to the young people who were arrested. And as we see, as we step inside, we see text. We see two children standing here, and they're standing above a statement. And the statement simply says, defiantly says, I ain't afraid of your jail. Now, opposite them and upside down, we see the phrase, segregation is a sin. And what we can say about these young people is, is that they turn the jails in the city of Birmingham, Alabama, upside down. To explore Birmingham's Heritage Trail through the 4th Avenue North District, an area where segregation once made it Birmingham's Little Harlem, visit heritagetrail.birminghamal.gov. You can also Google Kelly Ingram Park or visit this show page at worldfootprints.com for relevant links. In this Destination Spotlight, we continue our focus on Rio de Janeiro with Michael Najee at the New York Times Travel Show, where we learn about the sporting and adventure activities we can find in the region. You're not from Brazil initially. I am originally, but uh, my family is. I was just born somewhere else, but I'm Brazilian. 
I was born in South Africa. Another one of our favorite countries. That's, what a beautiful place. I mean, if you think of Cape Town, it's the smaller version of Rio, but we're much better. Uh, <laughs> they've only got Table Mountain and sharks. We don't have sharks, so you can come to us. And obviously, if you're a surfer, if you're a sailor, it's all there. I mean, uh, you know, a photographer once said to me, the problem with Rio is wherever you put your camera, you've got a shot. And it really is, it's very eye-catching, this mix of the green and the blue. With the co and it's a cosmopolitan city. I mean, uh, Rio is not a resort, resort destination. It is a cosmopolitan city with fantastic beaches, and you look, it's an urban resort at your disposal. And anything and whoever you want to be, you can be in Rio and Brazil, really. And the Brazilians, I mean, they really like uh, receiving. We are very hospitable people, and uh, they will always make you feel great. I mean, if anybody saw the World Cup, you all know that we're good at what we do in football, but we're also good at receiving people. And it was considered the World Cup of all World Cups, so with no doubt the Olympics will be the Olympics of the millennium once we have it there. We're looking forward to going. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. And it's not only Rio. I mean, you've got Iguazu, Salvador, Brasilia, Manaus. I mean, there's something for everybody. You want the cold, you go to the south of Brazil. You want the warmth, you've got Rio. You've got everything. But Rio is the postcard of Brazil. There's over 257 different ways of getting from the U.S. to Brazil in flights. So you can fly into Rio or through Sao Paulo, uh, through Manaus. So it's all available, whatever you want to do. It's easy to get to Rio. Rio's cheap. Come. And Brazil's open, open arms waiting for you. But come to Rio first. Michael, thank you. It's a pleasure, Tanya. Honored to spend time with legendary Birmingham musician and educator Dr. Frank Adams during our visit to the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame. This visit occurred just a few weeks before Frank Doc Adams, as he was affectionately called, passed away at age 86. A charter member of the Jazz Hall of Fame, he was inducted in 1978. Doc loved to play the sax and clarinet. He loved to teach, and he loved sharing stories from performing with some of the greatest names in jazz, such as Duke Ellington. We are pleased to share Doc's stories and some of his music during what turned out to be one of his last tours and musical sets. I just played it for you all, because a lot of times when you're out traveling, you learn about things, and you might have some good blessings here. Chase that's what I did. That's what I did. You're traveling uh, back and forth. And see, I'm so glad I got to see you. And where are you from? Big Alice, wow! I remember going to all those places when I was young, so you and I traveled to Duke Ellison Sands for a while. A lot of others, you know. I tried to explain something to them, but I had some 
wonderful experiences in life. In fact, uh, they all called me Doc. I had a, I finished Howard University back, I can't think what year it was now. But it was in the 50s, 40s, 40s, 40s. In 49, I think I said that. I had the experience of meeting some people from Utah and all of your places because they were very smart people and they, they came to Howard University to get black recognized school in the world. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick and we are revisiting our time with legendary jazz musician Doc Adams at the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame. Visit jazzhall.com to continue your travels through the Jazz Hall of Fame or visit worldfootprints.com for more information. And I was in my, just about in my, and he said, they tell me you can do this. I said, what is it? And they told me what it was, that they had worn out the original copies and they wanted somebody to make the sound. So what the song was, it was a, a real song. Everybody had done say. Uh, right after that was 
his theme song. And he said, Billy, 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 Billy. And we A lot of people ask for that piece of music. And of course, you know the old favorites, you know. Tennessee Walsh, Patty Page. Mm. I did that one with her. A lot of them, I remember. I remember so many. And of course, you know this one. Side the street, and who can who can who can forget some of those things? Like uh, they don't play those more like. happened to me and in Birmingham it was a town because I would take you to the museum and show you that but I want you to know that something about this place is different from other places because they had just some country boys like me I, I suppose we had a, a wonderful life here you're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we are revisiting our time with legendary jazz musician Doc Adams at the Alabama Jazz Hall of Fame. Visit jazzhall.com to continue your travels through the Jazz Hall of Fame, or visit worldfootprints.com for more information. Right here is a place that everybody comes to see about. His name was Sunrock. He walked the streets of Birmingham eating a hot dog or something and had this weird garb on. And so the police stopped him right in front of his place. They said, boy, what are you doing? You're scaring people. He didn't scare anybody. He said, why do you walk these streets at night and in the day and you have this kind of stuff on? And he didn't say anything. They said, well, we want the police to ask us to get you off the street because you, you, you're scaring little children. And he didn't do that. that. So... They kept, and he, they came back the next day, he's still out there. And he said, we thought you, we told you to get off the street. And then he, he got, he said, I'm not going anywhere. And this is before the civil rights movement. This was for all that came. And he's still out there, and it rained, he's still out there. And the people say, what, is he crazy? But now I knew he had a, he had a terrific band that lived up the street there, in those little shacks and things. And he said, why, what are you? He said, my name is Sun Ra. And he said, why don't you get off? He said, I'm from the sun. And he said, what is that? And he said, you can't bother me. And we didn't know anything about it. He said, because I'm from Mars. <laughs> and the police didn't know anything about Mars or nothing. In Birmingham, and he had spit at astronomy, you know. And so they went back, and he said, we're going put to him, put him in jail. Just put him in jail. And then they went back and they said that 
we're going to have to put you in jail. See, don't you touch me. The three police one. He said, if you touch me, you'll be paralyzed. <laughs> and your head down to your toes. Now try. And the police, the young guy, you know, 20 years, they went back to that man. It's crazy. And the police said, I know he's crazy, but you better get him on the street. I'm going to fire you. <laughs> the fire chief was in it. And he said, don't bother him. See, these people are Peter. This is for the civil rights movement, for the marches, you know. He said, why do you want to stir him up and make this kind of mess here in Birmingham? Say, you don't have to do that. Say, he'll die. He, he, he's actually crazy. Say, he'll leave. But that wasn't enough. And they went back there. And asked the, the police asked him, why would you do right? He said, we don't want to hurt you. He said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? He said, because I'm from Ma. <laughs> and Ma says, don't move for what you're talking about. So they went on, and they left him out there. Now, what happened to me? My mom and dad knew about him, you know. Everybody in the neighborhood knew about him. But to get close to him, that was out of picture for me. And we didn't, that was on the other side of town, everything. And so he called my mom, taught the third grade school teacher now, graduated of the college and all. And she said, Miss Adams, we'd like Frank and me to play in my intergalactic orchestra. This is Sunrock. I was shocked. And my mom said, Of course, Frank can play in your intergalactic orchestra. I thought my mom was going cuckoo. <laughs> But here comes Dad, he's a big guy, man. I just got it. Walking, I can hear the boys creaking, man. Rock, 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 And she's a little lady like you. She goes, da 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 da. And he says, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that boy playing with short rock. That's right, oh my God. To learn more about the Jazz Hall of Fame, visit jazzhall.com. And for more information about Doc Adams, head to this show's page at worldfootprints.com for a direct link. Admit, I was a little bit nervous before we traveled to Alabama. That's the furthest south I've been. And knowing the stories of the 16th Street Baptist Church and all of the protests at Bull Connor, uh, I was really, uh, I was slightly nervous as a person of culture to travel uh, that far south. But I really enjoyed the trip through Birmingham. I enjoyed how far that area has progressed in the decades following the Civil Rights Movement and, and Act. Well, it was my first trip to Alabama as well, and even though I've known of Birmingham and knew of its history, uh, just being in the place where some of the darkest moments in American history occurred was uh, moving and stirring. Even though this seems like ancient history, it's not ancient history for many people. We know people who were connected to this movement. For me personally, one of my good friends from Buffalo 
one of his cousins was one of the four girls killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church. And so that's personal, and that's a lot closer than something being distant history. And thinking about Birmingham and looking at its place in the South versus other southern cities that we hear about, like Atlanta and Charlotte and so forth, Birmingham really paid a high price for the discrimination that was foisted upon blacks in the area. And in many ways, it never recovered because blacks didn't think about going to Birmingham when opportunities came back to the South. They flocked to places like Atlanta, Charlotte, Birmingham because it was so tied to the Old South and because of the the painful moments there from Governor Wallace barring blacks at the University of Alabama to a lot of the violence that was foisted upon blacks because of Bull Connor uh, and the KKK. It really had an impact, and in many ways the community, while it's recovered, still has to live with those scars. What really impressed me was not only how the local community came together, but also the global community. When we walked inside the 16th Street Baptist Church and saw that beautiful work of art, uh, that stained glass window that sits prominently in the center uh, of the, the church, that was a gift from Wales. When we were touring, there were two people from Italy mm-hmm. who kind of followed our tour as well, and they were interested in this story. And these stories made international news, and it's just really wonderful to see people from all over the world who came together, first of all, to help heal the, the tragedy and provide a hand of compassion to the citizens of Birmingham Uh, but also to see others around the world who are helping to keep history alive so that we don't repeat it again. And it's very important that the American civil rights struggle be viewed as providing inspiration to so many movements around the world, whether it's South Africa or Eastern Europe and Poland. A lot of people drew inspiration because of the stance that some brave people took in the 50s and 60s. And, of course, we cannot leave this broadcast without remembering Doc Adams. I called him everybody's grandfather. I mean, he was a very adorable older gentleman, very learned, uh, very talented, and he treated us to the gift of music and his stories. Uh, I loved how he talked about Ella Fitzgerald, referred to her as his first love, and how much time that he spent with us. And um, I really appreciated that time with, with Doc Adams. A special day indeed for all of us. Our closing thought is from author Alice Walker, who said that one of the triumphs of the civil rights movement is that when you travel through the South today, you don't feel overwhelmed by a residue of grievance and hate. Thank you for traveling through history with us today. We appreciate you inviting us into your life. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing another amazing journey with you on World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. 
World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.